0: In this room, I'm scanning. Actually, for those of you that don't know, there's several graduations today. Daniela is graduating, um, and, and then there's actually several Mother's Day happenings going on. Um, so it's a festive day. But I was actually going to start out by sharing with you guys this a story of this blog, which really applies to all of us. It was actually it was a blog addressed to moms and it was speaking to moms, but it really applies to all of us. And basically what this woman was writing and what she was saying was she was kind of addressing specifically Christian women. And for those of you, this might actually touch home as far as your experience with your own mother, or maybe it might not. But basically when I was reading this blog, this woman was actually very comical, but the point that she was actually making was that as mothers, oftentimes in public, the way that you discipline your child or the way that you interact with your child may not be consistent with what happens behind closed doors at your home. And basically what she started saying was, is oftentimes in the comfort, and even forget the disciplining of child, even like interacting with your husband, that there's a certain way that you might be comfortable to address your husband in your home, that in the public place you would never do it before the eyes of other people. But with your little person sitting there watching you, you're comfortable to run your little flappy mouth and even sometimes you le- use language that you would never use. It's that paradox of kind of thinking before people, this is how I want to pre- present myself. But as soon as you get home, I'm going to... And uh, hear me, when Abram gets a spanking, he gets a spanking in private. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to spank my kid on the street. But what her point was is that the fear that you have in who you want to be before the eyes of people... What she was trying to say to moms is if there's anybody in the world that you want to look good to, it should be your child. Like that double standard of before the pastor, before my boss, before my professor, I want to look like this. But then yet in the comfort of my own home, whether it's discouragement, whether it's anger, whether it's frustration, the amount of things that will allow our child to see, and the example that we don't mind being to them. But yet, that's never what we would portray to the public eye. And basically, what she was saying was, is if there's any person that you should care about their opinion of you, it's actually your child. Because the amount of influence you have in molding them and shaping them. You know, one of the things, I don't remember where I heard it, but years ago when I was a nanny, and I say it to my husband all the time, is that our children actually really don't know how to follow Jesus. They know how to follow us. So in following us, and if they're mimicking us, that they're actually mimicking the behavior and the model of how to honor Christ and to see Christ. I mean, I can't say to Abram at four years old, he turned four yesterday, I can't say to Abram at four years old, Abram, I, mommy wants you to seek Jesus with all your heart. Like, the language, the verbiage, and the understanding of that is completely lost. He doesn't know how to follow Jesus. But what he does know how to do is he knows how to follow mommy's example. So whatever that may look like, whether that may be... And it is amazing when you actually start seeing the the spontaneous response of their heart, going, what word did he use this morning? Um did he say to Daryl, oh, he said to Daryl, I won't tolerate you. And I, and I, and I, I just kind of went, oh, like, you know, why are we ever, oh. And Daryl goes, well, I say I won't tolerate that behavior. And I, I was like, oh, okay. But it's amazing taking what you see, taking what you hear, and now applying it. Like, actually <laughs> like using, like, what you have seen and, and modeling it in that way. So anyway, she was really kind of giving a rebuke to mothers of saying, well, what you should care about the most is not what everybody else's opinion of you is. What is your child's opinion of you? And in many ways, I understand that not everybody in this room is a mom, but in many ways it really even speaks to the the, the place of living before the audience of one, which is Jesus Christ. Because in some ways we can talk about who I am before my child and behind closed doors with my child, but... A greater degree of that, as any woman, especially with the fear of the Lord, is that no matter what anybody sees my routine with my son, the Lord sees. Mm -hmm. That he sees those hidden places, and that applies to all of us. That the hidden secret places of our life are before the eyes of the Lord. So regardless of what we look like, and regardless of the image we portray to other people... That the Lord sees and knows. And that's the place that he's after in our lives. And it's interesting because, you know, when I had read that blog, I realized I remember as a young child, because I grew up in the church, and I can remember hearing about hypocrisy and really being confused, actually. Like, really, legitimately, like, I don't get it. So you're saying, like, that there's people that say that they love God, but they really don't, or what exactly does this hypocrisy look like? I couldn't almost wrap my mind around it, because my experience is very different than what this uh, woman was blogging about. My mother was such a sincere, wholehearted, wrestling for truth and integrity, even within the secret place of our home, that I actually was kind of like, I don't get it, like, so... Like, I can remember as a kid going, well, do they intentionally deceive people? Like, they're trying to deceive people to look one way, and then they intentionally act another? Is it intentional, or is it almost like they're trying? I just remember I couldn't quite get it because in my home, I had a mother that was a pastor, uh, but in my home, I woke up every single morning to seeing her face in the Word weeping, I, I, And not that my mother never raised her voice to me. I was definitely disciplined. But I, I legitimately remember if my mother in any way tugged, spoke to me with a tone of anger, I got an apology. Bethany, I'm really sorry for the way that I approached you. Like, there was a, a posture of humility that was there. So I saw the sincerity of everything that she was saying. And then on the flip side of it, I really didn't see hypocrisy in my home because my dad, he definitely... He definitely is a more abrasive, rough, tough, verbal communicator. He's not like that anymore, but as a child, it was spicy. Um, But he actually never had a different air in front of people. So, like, who he was is what you got. So, whether the pastor was over or whoever was over, if he wanted to say it, if he wanted to... He did not talk to me any differently. If you wanted to say, shut up, he'd say, shut up, no matter who was around. So I didn't actually see the contradiction. I was like, it's who he is. Like, you're going to get it, whether you like it or not. You know, so there was that place of reality in my life that I actually saw, like, who you are in the public is who you are in the private place. But this place of this blog, I realized I was like, how painful for a child's heart to be honored or even treated one way in public, but then treated differently behind closed doors, or also just even in our individual lives. Some of you in this place, you you don't have children, but you have parents and you have siblings, that you probably even talk to them in a way that you would, like, never speak to me, let's just say. But that's the place of just us wrestling for that place of integrity. So anyway, with, with Mother's Day, I actually started thinking, I was like, I have learned so much. There's probably no singular person that I have learned as much from than my mom. Like, in, in truth, most of you in this place don't know my mom, but I can say that with sincerity, not because it's Mother's Day and I'm, like, at some warm, fuzzy feeling. Like, she legitimately, when I say example, I can say the issue of forgiveness, I would see her wrestle, like, it has, never speak ill or critical of people. Like, even people that really did her wrong, and she should speak critical of, I actually would be like, mom, can you believe, and she just literally would bring out, well, they're really good at such and such, they just were not good at being a friend, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, almost like, let's highlight the positive, you know, she lived with such a, but, you know, I was thinking about it, and I was like, we definitely can't go through all the points today, but what I realized is, with my mother, and the point is that for all of us, this is what we should be, she really is a living testament of the word of God. Like, we could go point by point through the things that I learned from her, which are biblical. Like, there is enough scripture and foundation in the word to say, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. This is a life of godliness. But, just saying she is a living testament, I saw humility modeled continually. The willing, my, I will honestly say in situations that my mother probably never should have apologized by, like, right standards, Watch her take the low road and apologize to people and humble herself before them. I mean, the, the definition of grace. I mean, you can, you can wound her, do her wrong a thousand times over, and you're going to be met with a hug, and I'm believing the best once again. No record of wrong whatsoever. The place of honoring other people. I mean, those are the the realities that I saw modeled in the life of my mother. And really today I was actually thinking, I was like, out of all of those things, I think the deepest thing that has affected my life, and actually what we're going to look at in the Word of God, is the place of a spirit of excellence. I mean, all of those things that she embodied, I mean, selflessness. Let me just say, my mother is a selfless individual. All of those things really came down to a spirit of excellence in every area of her life. That, for anybody that's been to my mother's house, as clean as she keeps her house is really as clean as she keeps her heart before the Lord. I mean, I know, like I said, I'm her daughter, I'm her best friend, I know her. <laughs> like, but through and through, it's a spirit of excellence. And if there's one thing that I actually want to highlight today, and, and I mean, even what I could say, what I've learned from my mother's life, and what I would think all of us, even from the Word of God, if we glean, is the understanding of what a spirit of excellence is, and the wrestling for that in our daily life. And it will change us dramatically. It'll change not only your present circumstance, it will change your destiny in your future. If you understand what a spirit of excellence is, and even according to the word of God, even how it brings you into the place God has intended for you. Um, So we're going to look biblically at the two two lives of Daniel and at Joseph. Um, Is there anybody, actually I won't ask because I don't want you to show your hands. If you're unfamiliar with the life of Daniel and with the life of Joseph, I'm just going to give you a very quick background because they're very similar. They're very similar in circumstance as far as their background, but they're also very similar in what the Lord did to them, and they also have the similar thread of a spirit of excellence that was seen in their life. Mm -hmm. Um, For those of you that aren't aware, basically the book of Daniel is Daniel's life. So I'm going to kind of highlight it and overview it today, but if you start in Daniel 1, it really gives you the understanding that he was taken from his homeland into Babylonian captivity. So Point A, the guy starts out in captivity. Like, he's like a slave. Like, for real, slave. Like, so let's just all, like, identify there for a moment. Every plan that you have for your life, everything you thought it would be, everything that's familiar, all your family, all your loved ones, like, your plan for the future, A, B, C, D, in a day it's wiped out, and you're brought into captivity in a foreign land, and your plan is done. It's done for. Like, you, like it's done. <laughs> so that's Daniel. And then you have Joseph. The same exact thing basically happened. Only thing, it was Egypt that he was brought into slavery. So he actually has a dream from the Lord. He knows that the Lord's going to promote him, that he's going to have favor, all of these things. But just think about it, and, and this is really important that we understand this foundation before we even move on. The understanding that they're taken and ripped from their homeland. They're brought into captivity Slavery, they're serving a master, that all of their hopes and dreams are now dashed. I mean, we don't know. They, these guys could have had a chick they were interested in. Some of I know, I'm like saying, like, you know, sometimes we forget, like, the raw reality of lives. You know, they had moms that they loved, they had siblings that they liked or didn't like, or who knows. But here they are, these two young men, they start out the same way. They're ripped from their homeland, All everything changes every identity and purpose that they had for their own future, every loved the one gone. So they're starting out. Point A, they start out the same, and then we actually find throughout their life that both of them, from operating in a spirit of excellence, that they not only were promoted, they became rulers of entire kingdoms. That's like crazy. They said, like, bottom of the food chain to the top of the food chain. Like, and literally the scripture relates it to the understanding of the spirit of excellence. And this is what we need to understand even before we go any further understanding the spirit of excellence, is what we find with these young men is they had every excuse in the book. They had every excuse as to why they could have grumbled and complained. They had every excuse as to why they could have become depressed they had every excuse as to why they could have stopped honoring God. All of those things that play out of, I have no family around me. I like, All my loved ones are gone. The, the woman I was engaged to, now I, I, mean, they are in isolation, captivity. And I mean, let's just go here. They could have even have gone to the place of accusing God. I mean, what their life was supposed to be. What I was, you promised me. I had a dream. Joseph, God, what about my dream? So how many of us, in the midst of circumstance, we get more into blaming God and despising our circumstance than simply caring about with a spirit of excellence that whatever we find in front of us, we do with all of our might You know, I recently actually heard the, the, the definition that most discontentment in our life has to do with what we think our life is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of you do. You have this thing running through your mind throughout the day of, you know, and I, I, I mean, I can relate it to a mom. I want my house always clean and in order. When it's not clean and in order, it stresses me out a bit. Like I, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be. And I've recently started saying to myself, "It does not. Ha- it's not supposed to be. This is my life. Embrace it. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, it's messy. Embrace the mess. <laughs> you know. But even like in the midst of okay, let's let's just go really realzy here. My kid had a really long day yesterday. He was buzzed out on sugar, which normally doesn't happen. So this morning was anything but peaceful in my home. So I literally went on a car ride for an hour just to study the scripture to talk to you today. I literally went, whoa! I gotta just go get a grip. I mean, that's the reality. But I could have sat there getting angry, frustrated that my kid's not behaving, my life stinks, everything's chaotic, why did I have a stupid party, and now I got you know, <laughs> you know, the whole thing, you know, all the, no, nah, it's not supposed to be like this. I literally went, this is how it's supposed to be. I, I have a four-year-old. I have a family. I'm a mom. I have a lot of responsibility in my life. Sometimes I can't keep all the plates spinning. It's cool. I dropped some. I dropped some plates today. And you know what? It's okay. (laughs) So, you know what? I could have literally come in here with a frustration of what my life is supposed to be. I I am not supposed to be doing. If I look at all of my list of prophetic words that I've had since I was eight, it doesn't quite line up. (laughs) Not at all, actually. (laughs) It's a little more messy, a little more ugly, and a lot more work than anybody ever said. (laughs) But here we are. (laughs) So I can guarantee that a lot of the frustration that you face in your life actually has to do with your standard of what you think your life is supposed to be. I was supposed to be married by 25. I was supposed to have a child by 26. I was supposed to, you know, or I was supposed to graduate. And then after graduation, I was supposed to get this job. And I didn't land the job. And then because I didn't get the job, everything got screwed up. You know, like almost somehow that all the stars didn't align. And now my life stinks. You know, that place of instead of realizing, okay, in the midst of it, Joseph in the prison, Daniel in Babylonian captivity. Somehow these guys wrestled through letting go what life was supposed to be in the homeland, their 10 year plan of where they were going before they were brought into captivity, and they embraced the purpose of God and said, in the in the dungeon. And let's just say literal dungeon. Like you might feel like you're in a dark, enclosed, secret place, but they literally were. <laughs> like <laughs> like isolation, you sometimes like, I'm so isolated. No, they really were isolated. You know, you kinda go through like you know, we like that term. That I'm just in a hidden place. God, God has me hidden. Yeah. Well, they were like really hidden, like they were completely forgotten about. I don't think you're forgotten about. It <laughs> might feel like it, and I'm not minimizing it. <laughs> but so for real, this is their reality. But we actually find these young men that in this reality, they refused to actually be given to a life of mediocrity. I mean, crazy, crazy. We find Daniel. In like this perpetual fast. I mean, how many of us would be like, "I have none of the pleasures of my homeland. I don't have my family. I'm just binging on junk." (laughs) You know, like instead, (laughs) you know, he's like, you know, we're all like, let's talk about the American reality. I deserve some pleasure. I need some pleasure in life. I'm, like, being tortured, and I'm in captivity right now. No, instead, they're not looking for, like, the ease of their flesh. They're literally saying, I'm going after God, and with everything inside of me, regardless of who sees me or who doesn't see me, regardless of delay, regardless of circumstance, this is who I am before you, and it's not before the eyes of any man. They had such an understanding that they were seen before God. I mean, let me just say this. There's many of you that in your room at 10, 11, and 12 o'clock at night, you probably would spend your hours differently if you were thinking, the spotlight of heaven is upon me. Instead of squandering hours doing who knows what, that if we lived with a spirit of excellence before him. Of understanding that his eye is upon us, his desire is after us. I mean the extraordinary life of these two men. Okay, so that's our overview. Is okay, so that they ended up ruling entire kingdoms because they were marked by <laughs> 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 overview. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because of a spirit of excellence upon their life. Specifically Daniel six, three through four. This is actually where it, it outlines um, the spirit of excellence that was upon Daniel's life. It says, then this Daniel dis- distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps and because an excellent spirit was in him. The king gave thought to settling him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not fi- could could find no charge or fault because he was faithful nor was there any error or fault found in him. So literally, they basically go after Daniel's life to say, let's find some charge or some fault against this young man. And nothing can be found. I mean, this is Old Testament, but many of you know New Testament. The Word of God declares that we would be above reproach. Mm -hmm. That our lives would be above reproach. That not only when, let's just say it this way, not, not only when the eyes of man look upon us, that he can't find any fault, that there aren't those things that are hidden in secret that we're just, you know, hiding from the eyes of man, but when the eyes of God look upon us, Amen. that we would be above reproach. Amen. That there would be no place within us that there's things that, and hear me, when we talk about the spirit of excellence, we're not talking about perfection. Right. We're not talking about making no mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to flub it up. We're all going to, that's the beauty of grace. But it's actually the intention and the purpose of our heart, of what are we setting our heart upon. What are, and if we're saying, God, I want your highest and best, if that's what we're going after, that's an excellent spirit. You know, I actually love, um, in the New Testament, there's actually three, several places where there's these varying degrees. There's the good, the acceptable, and then the perfect will of God. There's varying degrees. And there are, let's just be honest, it's okay. No shame, no condemnation. There are definitely people that are kind of like, I'm cool with the acceptable will of God. Like, as long as I'm getting by, you know, I'm just kind of getting by. You know, but the spirit of excellence that we find in Daniel and Joseph's life is is that longing for, I want your perfect willingness. Let's just be honest. There's job opportunities that Joseph could have had to kind of get out of prison sooner, or earlier, or even promotion in other ways, other than waiting for the perfect will of God.
1: There could have been that
0: place of, okay, I'm okay with the acceptable will of God, I just want to get out of this prison. Even with Daniel, that place of longing for the perfect will of God, I think, I don't know if Daryl touched on this scripture verse a couple weeks ago, because I know he touched on the the sower and the seed, but where it talks about there's 30, there's 60, and 100-fold fruitfulness. And, and I, like I said, no condemnation. There's people that are like, that's cool if I just get 30-fold <laughs> Like, I'm good with 30-fold. <laughs> but then there's that longing, and that's actually the nature and, and the essence of the spirit of excellence is saying, I want to see a hundredfold fruitfulness in my life. Amen. Whatever that looks like, and however long it takes me to get there, I want the hundredfold. That longing for the greater purposes of God. Um, so we actually find Daniel, actually that word is used. That there was an excellent spirit that was found in him. And the word excellent actually means there was an extraordinary spirit found in Daniel. There was an extreme spirit found in Daniel. There was a surpassing spirit, a preeminent spirit found in Daniel. Those are definitely not mediocre words. Like, (laughs) there's like no middle of the line there. Like, I mean, even the word extreme... That there is something of extraordinary measure that was found in him. Something that marked his life as distinct, as separate, as marked and set apart. I mean, that's extraordinary. So we find that these young men, that there was, even in the midst of terrible circumstances and a terrible season in their life, that we actually found that they made no excuses. Although they technically could have looked like a victim to their circumstance, They refuse to be defined by that. They refuse to make excuses based upon their circumstance. And let's just, we all have experience with excuses. Let's just think about it this way. I mean, every, I'm supposed to be doing a little bit more of like a a cleanse now that I've been made aware of. For those of you that don't know, Ann and Fabiano are nutritionists. You should sign up for their program. It's amazing. So, but there are definitely, like I had a scone this morning. And as I was eating it, I was like, this is like all white flour, it's disgusting, it's going to kill me. But I'm still Mm -hmm. eating a spoon right now. (laughs) You know, there's those places in our life where we kind of make our, my excuse was I was busy, I did so much cooking for the party, I didn't want to, you know, I went through all of my excuses. At the end of the day, you might as well save your excuses. Really. Because in essence, the root issue, if you're not doing something that you're supposed to, whether it's job-related, school-related, Jesus-related, it really just is you don't want to. Mm, You just don't want to. Like, I mean, most of you, you go, whether it's your boss or your professor, you go with your list of, I didn't get my assignment in because I had to do, and then I had to. At the end of the day, you didn't want to do it. Because I know I've worked with people long enough. I've been in the ministry since I was like 15, 14 years old. Been with people long enough to know something. When you want to do something, there is nothing on earth that will keep you from doing it. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Even if it's something materialistic you can't afford. No, seriously. You know, I love, like, you know, the whole, like, I can't, I can't. It's amazing. We will move heaven and earth. We will sacrifice, sleep, comfort, whatever, if it's something that we want. And if it's something that we don't want, in all honesty, we will find any excuse in the earth not to do it. I mean, if you really, 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 like really want to exercise, you're going to start clearing out your schedule. You're going to be like, I'm going to find time. I don't got time, but I'm going to find time and there for this. You're going to wake up earlier. You're okay going without that extra hour of sleep because you want to do it. Really? I mean, you want to sign up for the gym, all of a sudden you can find that extra money that month because you really want to do it. I mean, so on some level, not before me, not before any person, but for all of us, you kind of have to come to a place of truth within yourself. Like, if you don't do it, if you, instead of, like, coming up with a thousand excuses, like, just simply say, I didn't want to. And it's amazing. (laughs) Like, if you actually, like, are that honest with yourself, Then, like, even, let's just use the word of God. (laughs) You know, we kind of go through the whole, oh, I had a crazy weekend, and had this and that, and I had this and this. And we kind of go through our whole thing. But instead of doing that jargon before the Lord, if you literally just, like, shut it down, just shut it down, just shut up, really just shut up, and just say, (laughs) I'm so lovely, you're just going to, like, be quiet, (laughs) and say, I guess I didn't want to. I didn't, I didn't want to read. Which is, I, like I said, no condemnation here. I'm not, like, judging you. I'm not whipping you. I'm actually just saying, like, these are the tools. If you actually want to come to a place that, if, So let's just say, you know, one of my goals when I was 16, my goals, literally my goals for my life, it wasn't like, get a degree in this. It was like a student of the word. Now, a student of the word is very different than a casual reader of the word. A student of the Word is drastically different. So every once in a while, I have to sit down and say, am I a student of the Word? And if I'm not a student of the Word, I have to be really honest with myself and say, I I don't want to be. So what is it in my life that I need to come to the real wrestling and reality of that I desire more than that? And what do I need to do to adjust and to change it? So these things in our life. so we actually find these guys, instead of using excuses, I was ripped from my homeland, I'm now in slavery. You know, all of those things, they removed every excuse. There was no crutch to lean on. It was simply, this is my posture before the Lord, and I will not allow anything Amen. to keep me back from his purposes in my life. Amen. So the question becomes, what is it that we allow to keep us back from the purposes of the Lord? I mean, let's just talk about, like, even Joseph, he, like, he came from, like, a bad bloodline. Like, I mean, if you want to start talking about, like, iniquitous patterns and things like that, or even if you just want to talk about family dysfunction of, like, I'm so messed up because I have a messed up dad. You know, like, all of those things, which, I mean, mercy. You know, we all got our messed up joke. But on some level, we have to stop using it as a victim that excuses us from, from what, our behavior or our lack of right behavior. And we come to the place of saying, I want a spirit of excellence and there is nothing, no demon, no power, no principality, no distraction, no circumstance in my life that I'm allowing to be an excuse. Nothing's going to keep me from that. So it's really even a place of a violent dedication. So we find that actually with both of these men's life is we find a, a violent dedication. We actually find Joseph refusing to make excuses. How many of you guys don't even know the story? It's in uh, Genesis thirty-seven, twelve. Um, and this is actually where Joseph's father says to Joseph, your, your brothers are feeding the flock in Shechem. He tells them, they're in Shechem, and go to your brothers and go check on them. So Joseph goes to Shechem. He actually follows the instruction. He does what he's told. He, he does it. He fulfills it. He goes there, and his brothers aren't there. So for all of us that tend to be of a little bit more mediocre life, We'd go there and be like, ah, he wasn't here, darn, he doesn't head back, my job's over. You know, kind of like, done, did it, I did what was asked of me, moving on now. Hmm. He's there and he's like, the dudes aren't here. So, an excuse, he would have had a really good excuse to go back, right? Hey, there we go, excuse. He would have had a really good excuse to go back, but instead of going back, he actually then asks a man that's there. He's like, I'm looking for my brothers, there. and then the, 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 the man, conveys to them where the brothers are and he goes the further distance it wasn't required let's just okay here we go you want to spirit of excellence 101 he actually went beyond what was required see most of us take the required measure this is how much i have to do to get by this is what i have to do to honestly i was a nanny for many many years I did buttloads of laundry. I mean, like, when I say it, I mean truckloads of it. Maybe it's more accurate. But I did so much laundry. Honestly, it was never a part of my job description. It was never something that they said when they sat down. They literally said to me, Bethany, these children, make them happy. <laughs> you know, like me. Make sure they're happy. But I worked at, looked at these two women that were working mothers out of the house. They owned and ran a restaurant. And I remember thinking, like, during the kids' nap times, okay, I'm here. Like, I'm here, and they're not, and I have two capable hands. I'm doing laundry. Like, (laughs) I started doing laundry, cleaning their homes, going above and beyond that which was required. I mean, you can apply this in any circumstance, whether it's your schooling, whether it's your job, even your family. I mean, this is really where it hurts, right? Like, when your mother's like, and I understand most of you are out of the house, but we still have interface with our parents. We can go above and beyond, even with honoring our parents. In the place that it's not just what's asked of us or required of us, it's a place of actually honoring and going beyond. It's that place of actually a spirit of excellence. So we find that in Joseph. We actually find he refused to make an excuse when he could have just gone back, but he went above and beyond. Um, Next, I actually want to talk about when nobody sees. The place before God when no one is looking, when no one's taking notice, when there's no record, when there's no reward to be had, and it's only seen before the eyes of God. Because we're short on time, I'm actually not going to show that video right now. I'll wait till the end if I have time. Um, But it's this place of actually not doing things according to our feelings. Let's just be honest. If you're going to get praise and adoration for what you did, you are going to have the motivation to go above and beyond. You're like, because I want to get that applause and I want to get the bonus at the end of the day. You know, that's motivation. It's when we feel it. And at, let's think about it this way. At the high points of our life, in the, in the glorious seasons of our life, it's a lot easier to go the distance. It's in those hard, difficult, mundane, discouraging, you know, like the brothers when we're imprisoned and all of our hope has been taken away. But it's that place of beyond our feelings. There's actually a definition of success in professionalism. Um, I don't actually think I wrote it down here. Um, I didn't. But I'll summarize it for you. Excellence is doing things even when we don't feel like doing them. I mean, any any person that's excelling in life, whether it's an Olympian, whether it's in business, I mean, even spiritually, if it's someone that is able, preachers, that are able to articulate the word of God with clarity and with anointing, they did something when they didn't feel like doing it. They did something beyond the emotion of a corporate gathering when there was anointing and the fire of the Holy Spirit was falling. They got up at 4 a.m. and cracked open the word when nobody else was looking. I mean, the Olympian that gets the gold medal that everybody's applauding for, they sacrificed and disciplined and went the distance. They're being rewarded for excellence that they were actually manifesting and striving after when nobody else was looking. I mean, if you think about the top doctors, the top scientists, there is a place of sacrifice and a spirit of excellence in that area of their life. And it's something, and I I would just encourage you, like some of you, it may not be you're called to ministry or you're called to this or that. There may be that you feel like the Lord has even given you, like, a vision for some kind of breakthrough in science or breakthrough in medicine. Give yourself to the study that the Lord has envisioned you for. I mean, oftentimes, (laughs) I think we think sometimes, like, think about, like, Thomas Edison or people that invented something. We think, like, they lived their whole life almost, like, in passivity, in um, mediocrity, and they were just, like, one day chilling in the bathtub. (laughs) And, like, I totally got the science behind the light bulb. Like, I got it. No, it didn't happen like that. He had years of laying a foundation. Like, get it? Like, that revelation wouldn't have come to me because I wouldn't have even gotten how the electricity travels. Like, meh. Like, I don't get, I still don't get that. (laughs) But you see what I'm saying? Is there was a foundation that that revelation came because he was diligent in seeking something. I mean, somehow we think we're just going to be like cruising around on our bicycle. And all of a sudden, heaven's going to open. We're going to get this, like, divine. It will when there's actually something that it can land upon. Mm -hmm. Thomas Edison had a certain measure of understanding, a certain measure of knowledge. He had a certain diligence in seeking that all of a sudden that revelation could find a place to connect and there was understanding. I mean, there was a part that he played in the place of diligence in seeking. And that's actually what we find with these young men. We actually find the diligence of their own heart. The word diligence actually means earnestness in accomplishing, promoting or striving after something. So we as New Testament Christians, the word striving makes us all go, oh, oh, that's not grace. You know, like, oh, I got to work and do something. Like, no, 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 no. Like the grace of God (laughs) empowers us. You know, one of my favorite quotes, actually, is that uh, the grace of God is not opposed to effort. doesn't mean you're not going to have to exert effort. The grace of God is opposed to earning. So your effort, you're not earning anything. Grace, we are not trying to earn something. But there is a place that even within the grace of God, that there is an effort that we make on our part in seeking the Lord and pursuing him. And that's actually what the word, there's um, several places really quickly in the New Testament. Second Corinthians 8-7, just to let you know, like it is biblical, the place of diligence and sowing in that place. But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for, for us, that you abound in this grace, also. Second Peter one five um, and ten. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. So he's saying, giving all diligence. He's not saying faith is actually just going to like plop on you. Knowledge is going to plop on you. Self control is just going to miraculously appear in your life. He's saying, giving all diligence. From the place of you actually being diligent, add to your faith virtue, to your virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his own sins. Verse 10. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. It's a good word there. Diligent. To make your call and election sure. Diligent. Like, that means you have a part to play. There is an, an effort that we exert. There is a place for the understanding of excellence. Verse eleven: For, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You know we have to understand. Oftentimes, we we all want fruitfulness and we want successfulness. Like we want to be successful. Whether that's that could be in marriage, that could be in finance, that could be in business, whatever it may be, we want success. But oftentimes we actually forget what it takes in the sowing, in the place of diligence. actually reap the success. We forget actually kind of the toilsome process that we need to engage our lives in. Um, Joyce Myers actually says, excellent people exceed expectations. You can run into mediocrity accidentally, but you have to purpose to be excellent. Colossians 3.17 says, whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. All of your heart. As working for the Lord. I mean, this is like the most fundamental... I mean, it, when you think about it, as unto the Lord. When you're doing your school... I'm going to be honest with you. I use the scripture verse. Like, when I'm cooking... Let's just do it as... You all know me. I don't love cooking. Like, I like the whole like food preparation process... You know, dude, it's just like a big waste of time to me. I'm like, can we all eat a bagel? <laughs> you know, like, you know, I've asked my husband, I've said to him, I'm like, what well, am I Like just did like salads and bagels all the time. Like, what's wrong with that? You know? But like the whole process, I literally will just be like, Lord, this is my worship unto you. Like, I am being a wife and a mother, and this is unto you. Because let's just be honest, if it was unto like myself or... Just the four walls within our own house, I'd probably stop grocery shopping. But (laughs) unto the Lord. And in that, it makes me, for those of you that know me, it makes me meal plan. It makes me make sure my kid's getting, you know, all of his necessary. There is a place when it's unto the Lord. I want to do it with the very, very best of my ability. I want to make sure that it's being done as crazy, right? Cooking three meals a day unto the Lord. But when you do it that way, it changes everything. You know, you're going to the grocery store singing in tongues rather than cursing at your husband. You know? <laughs> I mean, it changes everything. The perspective of it changes when it's done as worship unto the Lord. I mean, as crazy as you might find it, you keeping your room clean, like it's you're like, I should be reading my Bible and not cleaning my room. No, 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 no. <laughs> like while you're cleaning you can pray. You like just put on the worship music. I'm a big fan of cleanliness is next to godliness. I think it's... let's just say this. Do you think it's clean in heaven? Come on. Come. Like, when you think about heaven, is there litter on the streets? No, there is not. It's pristine, right? The fear of the Lord is clean, preserving the soul. (laughs) (laughs) Anyhow, this is (laughs) a little off spirit of excellence. I wasn't going to talk to you about personal (laughs) cleanliness. a little bit of a pet peeve (laughs) of mine. Anyway. (laughs) Whatever you do, do with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. That's Colossians 3 that I was just reading to you. You know, in closing, I know it's kind of comical and funny, just some of the stuff that I brought up, but in all all honesty, when we talk about things like the spirit of excellence... And, you know, there's always the camps in the body of Christ that I don't, I'm actually not sure, because when you engage in, like, the biblical perspective of it, I, like, kind of scratch my head, and I'm like, so, are we saying we like mediocrity? Like, mediocrity is cool, because there isn't a lot of places in life that mediocrity is esteemed. Like, go through your mind just for a moment. And just think, like, wow, that person is so mediocre at acting. I love watching them. <laughs> you know, like, no, it's the person that excels in acting that you would like to see in a film. Or, that guy is so mediocre at basketball, he's my favorite. <laughs> he's just like, he can never get it in, and he can never, and he obviously doesn't practice, but that's my guy. Like, <laughs> I mean, no, really, I just for a moment, go there mentally, let me know if you can come up with somebody that's, like, so mediocre that you aspire to be like them. Right. <laughs> you know, like, or writers. Somebody that writes, let's just be honest, when you read somebody that is a gifted writer, like, they have welded that tool, and they have fashioned something. You're like, wow, I like reading when I read this person. Like, all of a sudden, it changes everything. You're that's a bad writer, you're like, put that thing down. Like, there's yeah. just no, but that is the place, honestly, for each one of us. Let's, let's talk about the heroes of the faith. Like, forget, like, kind of modern contemporary culture. The heroes of the faith. Do you look at any of them and find, like, okay, Hebrews, mediocre faith. You know it's the hall of of faith, of people that did extraordinary things for God, that risked everything, that heard the voice of God and obeyed. It's not like we read it and kind of go, oh yeah. They were faint-hearted. Usually, the faint-hearted ones are the ones who are like, "Oh God, keep me from like that testimony. <laughs> like, keep me from that life." Those aren't the ones we're all wanting to name our children after. No. <laughs> I mean, it's the Elishas of the Bible. It's the Samuel's. It's the is it, you know those are the people that when we look at the Word of God and let's just say the reason that we're looking at their lives and that we're even inspired by them is not because they're mediocre. It was because they were wholehearted, And there was a spirit of excellence, no matter what it was. John the Baptist, let's just talk about it. The guy was wholehearted. There was like no ounce of his being that was not consumed with the fire of God. But because of that, it influenced other people. I mean, that's the place. If we look at the word of God, there is no place where the Lord's like, yeah, just be like half-hearted. Just do what's ever like comfortable just to get by. No sweat off your back. No skin off your, you know, just like keep it cool, right? No, it's a place of actually wholeheartedly, and as we saw with Daniel and with Joseph, with a spirit of excellence. Of saying, with every ounce of who I am, I want to please you. I mean, really, with every cell of my being, I want truth. I mean, if we really started praying those kind of prayers, God, I want truth in every cell of my being. Like, not just, like, what people see and what they can judge and determine from me. But before you, I want truth and integrity. I want righteousness and purity in every cell of who I am. I am in that place of actually wrestling for excellence. Um, Let me just close out, actually. um, Andrew Carney said, an average person puts only 25% of their energy and ability into their work. The world takes its hat off for those who actually put more than 50% capacity in. And it stands on its head to those few and far between souls who devote 100%. I mean, I, I want to actually exhort us, like, whatever it, I mean, obviously in the, whatever the area of calling is that the Lord has set before you, that you give 100%. But even before we get to the place of calling, our life before the Lord That we give him all that we are. That a spirit of excellence, like as we even went over that word, that it's diligence, it's perseverance. It's that place that that really beyond the eyes of man that we actually find with Daniel and with Joseph. That it was not based upon circumstances that they were found in. But even in difficult circumstances that they gave all that they are and all that they had to the place of pleasing the Lord. And then we actually find that promotion came from that place. We actually find, and as we read in Colossians, that he is a rewarder. How many of you are familiar with the passage of Scripture? He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That place of actually being diligent before him. Not necessarily when there's anybody to praise us or any accolades or rewards to be had for it, but just simply because of our love and our devotion. And really, it's our honor for him. Honoring who he is, regardless of the circumstances. So just in closing, asking ourselves these questions. How do we conduct conduct ourselves? How do we approach our responsibilities? And how do we treat others? I mean, those three areas of our life. How do we conduct ourselves privately? How do we approach areas of our responsibility? And how do we treat others? Do we feel as though we do just enough to get by? Do we cut corners? Or do do we give of ourselves above and beyond expectation? Even as Joseph Meyer said, that the, the, the spirit of excellence is going ab- above and beyond expectation, more than that which is required or expected of us. Why don't we stand to our feet and closing? Sorry, babe.